Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Previous man. And desire. Live. From delusion. Now, if you can discipline yourself for a minute, don't look at verse 23. Look at verse 24. And put on the new nature... The regenerate self created in God's image, God-like, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if I just say to people, put off the old man and put on the new man. Stop acting the way you used to act and act the way God wants you to act. People may say, yes, I want to do that, but how can I do it? Something's missing. The bridge is in verse 23. Verse 22 says, put off the old man. And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. And now you can put on the new man, recreated in Christ Jesus. I can't wear the new man if I'm going to have old thoughts. Amen? I have to have my mind renewed. I believe that God wants to prosper us. So you need to have a, an image that God wants to bless you. I believe that God wants to use you, so you need to have an image that you're usable material. And the enemy will come along and whisper to you, well, I, don't you remember what you did? Say yes, and that makes it all the more exciting that God could use somebody that was such a mess like me. i tell you something, he'll leave you alone if everything he tries to lie to you about, you turn it into something good. Thank you for reminding me how much God has forgiven me for. That just makes me have even a better day than I was going to have. You know something I've been doing every day for, well now, almost going on six months. I believe that God wants us to aggressively believe that good things are going to happen to us. I don't think we're going to say, well, I hope something good, you know, I wish something good would happen. You know, hope, I'm fresh on this because I'm writing a book right now on hope. Hope is a happy anticipation that something good is going to happen. Can you wake up in the morning and when the enemy whispers to you and says, this is going to be a lousy day, you say, I'm so excited, God, because I believe that something good is going to happen to me today. I believe that something good is going to happen in the world. Something good is going to happen in the government. Something good is going to happen in my family. Something good is going to happen to me at work. I am not going to sit around and be a Christian sourpuss believing for everything negative that the devil wants to throw at me. I am determined that I am going to live the life that Jesus died to give me, and I believe that something good is going to happen in my life. Amen? I decided to call this little book that I'm finishing up on hope the happy book. I tell you what, if you can live with hope and be a prisoner of hope and refuse to get hopeless and negative, there is just absolutely nothing the devil can do with you. He has lost control when no matter what he does, you say, God's going to work this out for good. Something good is bound to happen to me any moment. And it doesn't matter how much bad stuff has happened in the past. 
You say, well, what if I believe something good is going to happen today and it don't? Then get up tomorrow and believe again. What if it don't happen tomorrow? Then get up and believe again. And I'll tell you what, you can outlast the devil. And pretty soon he'll cave in and you'll have the victory. Characteristics of a healthy mind. First of all, a healthy mind is peaceful. Wow. Can I suggest that we learn to love simplicity? We live in such a complicated world today. And there's not very much that's just sweet and plain and simple anymore. We need to learn to love simplicity and to purposely keep our lives as simple as we possibly can. Doesn't that sound good? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything, (laughs) by prayer and petition, definite request, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. How awesome is that? Don't worry about anything. Just tell God what you want. Be thankful for what you got. Stay happy and watch God work. And the peace that passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Now, I asked a couple of people back in the back before I came out here, now, what do you think is the biggest problem that people have with their minds? And we all came up with some version of worry. Anxiety, worry, stress. And the Bible teaches us that, and I'm going to take you to a scripture in just a minute, that really worry is actually pride of the human flesh thinking that, well, if I rotate my mind around this long enough, I'll figure out an answer. Let's look at First Peter 5, 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation. And that doesn't mean to have a poor opinion of yourself. It just means to know yourself and that apart from God, you are a weak human being that can't do anything. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you and lift you up. Now, how do we humble ourselves? Here it comes, verse 7. Casting the whole of your care. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Dave Meyer's answer to every dilemma in life is cast your care. If he has told me that once in our 47 and a half years of marriage, he has told me that 5,000 times. Cast your care. Cast your care. Well... It's been hard for me, to be honest, because I wanted for a long time for him to sit around and worry with me, and he just wouldn't do it. (laughs) Cast your care. Cast your care. Well, we got to do something. Well, do you know what to do? No, I don't know what to do. Well, then cast your care. (laughs) You know, here's the thing we need to do. We need to do our responsibility and cast our care. Our responsibility is to pray, give it to God, Be open to doing anything that God asks us to do, but not to feel the pressure of thinking we have to go do something when we have no idea what to do, and the more we try to do, the worse we make the situation. Amen? There's nothing wrong with you if you don't worry about your children. 
I said there's nothing wrong with you if you choose not to worry about your children. You know what? Not to be negative, because I really try to stay away from that, but, you know, there's a semi-good chance that your kids are going to make a few bad mistakes, a few wrong decisions. But, hey, you're still here. Come on. You made it. And sometimes the only way people get it is to take the wrong path for a period of time to find out, well, this is not working. I don't want to do this anymore. So instead of worrying ourselves sick over our kids and their decisions, we need to be a good example to them. We need to pray for them. We need to live the life in front of them. And we need to watch God work in their lives. yourself under the mighty hand of God. Don't even think that you can solve your problem. See, there would have been a time when I would have worn myself out trying to change David's mind about the car. Well, you know, I mean, I guess if I would have had a big enough fit, he would have maybe not bought the car, but it would have messed up the peace in our home. It would have put a, a rift between us. And that's not the way God wants us to live. The Bible says we're called to peace. We're called to peace. So you know how I look at it now? You know what, God? If you don't want him to have that car, you can change his mind. If you do want him to have it, I'm not going to change his mind. This is not my problem. It's between you and him. If he wants to be 74 and drive a race car up and down the street, <laughs> praise the Lord. I'm not riding in it. I want a comfortable ride. Amen? I'm serious. Stop trying to make everybody else do what you want them to do. Uh-oh, now I'm preaching good. I said, stop. <laughs> Come on. Stop trying to make everybody else do what you want them to do and have some peace. Run your life and stop trying to run everybody else's. Do you know how many times a week I have to say to myself, Joyce, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. It's none of your business. Because I like to get into stuff. And it <laughs> Come on, is there anybody here you like to get into stuff? Okay, well, you better learn my secret. It's none of your business. It's none of your business. <laughs> Keep your peace. Shut your mouth. Stay out of it. It's none of your business. And you know what? It works. And I've got so much peace now. I mean, when I first started getting peace, I was bored because I'd never had any peace in my whole life. I'm telling you the truth. I was bored. I didn't know what to do with myself. It was like, hmm. Boy, now I just love it. I'm like, Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Cast your care on him, for he careth for you. You know, I believe that God wants to promise you tonight that he will always take care of you. But I also have to say that he won't do it if you're trying to take care of yourself. Now, obviously, you're going to do the things that you need to be doing to take care of yourself. But I'm talking about worrying about everything. The only way that we get God's deal is if we stop trying to do it ourselves. Cast your care on God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In due time, it may take a little time. 
So if, it, if you don't get a result right away, don't think God's not working. Matter of fact, every time the enemy tells you, well, God's not doing anything, you say, God's not doing anything I can see yet, but he's working in the spiritual realm, and it is going to happen. Something good is going to happen to me today. you got to do that. Just because you don't see anything doesn't mean God's work not working. Matter of fact, what we see, suddenly we get a breakthrough, but we're seeing the result of what God's been doing sometimes for years. And now all of a sudden it's, oh my gosh, that was God. <laughs> Amen? I'm telling you, good things are on the horizon for you. Don't you quit and give up and think that they're not. You keep saying, I'm expecting something good to happen in my life. And you wonder if that's okay to do that. Well, do you think God wants you to sit around and expect something bad? Oh, I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Well, you know, if you're not expecting nothing, then nothing's what you're going to get. Example, a woman may worry about her children, her finances, her husband's faithfulness, what people think. It may contribute to her problem. It could even have created her problem. But one thing it won't do is solve her problem. <laughs> Worry is useless. It's powerless. Here's the definition in Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is a great dictionary. The word worry means teasing, troubling, harassing, or tearing. To vex or persecute brutally to fatigue. And I wrote down here, worry equals ulcers and stress. There's nothing in this definition that says it's going to do anything good. Trust in God is the only way to stop worrying. And I honestly don't think, I'll just tell you what I think after all these years of experience, I don't think that anybody is going to stop worrying until they really come to the point where they know that they're not smart enough to fix their own problems that only God is. You know, I'll be honest and tell you, I don't have what it takes to run this ministry. I mean, if it was based on me, I shouldn't be up here. But I don't worry about it. I don't know how to get the money we need to run this ministry. I can't even count that high. I don't know how to do that. But I've, I've learned it's not my problem. It's God's deal. And you know what? He always comes through. We get ourselves in so much trouble worrying. What we need to do is cast our care on God and watch Him do miracles in our lives. Come on, I dare you to go to sleep tonight without worrying. Now, a healthy mind is not confused. It has clear direction or it's clear that direction's coming. Even though you don't maybe have that clear direction yet, you can be clear that that direction will be given to you at the moment that you need it. Even though you don't know what to do right this moment, you will know what to do when you have to do something. Amen? Confusion in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Lack of order, a mixture of several things, agitation and distraction caused by conflicting ideas. God is not the author of confusion. Stop living off the top of your mind and learn how to live by discernment. Discernment means you don't know what to do. You have this option. You have that option. You don't feel really good in here about this one. But when you think about this one, you got peace. This one doesn't even make as much sense. 
This one over here makes more sense mentally. It seems like it should be the thing to do. I mean, it's kind of what my friend said I should do, but I don't, something just don't feel right about that. But when I go over here to this more unreasonable one that doesn't seem to make much sense, that people aren't even advising me to do, man, I feel good about this one. Well, you're going ha to have to make a decision. Are you going to learn to live by the discerning of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to go with what your mind says to do? Can I tell you something? God sometimes asks us to do some really unreasonable things. And I'm not talking about just living goofy and, and doing stupid stuff. But, I mean, God doesn't work the way the world does. His ways are above our ways. And He, he does things differently. I mean, if you really think about it, the plan of salvation just makes no sense at all. I mean, how can you figure that out? But when you read it, it's like you know in here that something wonderful happened on that cross. Now, you try to explain it to somebody that's not spiritual. You try to explain tithing to somebody that doesn't have God in their life. I remember an accountant doing my taxes one time looked at me and he said, Why are you giving all this money away? I said, well, I believe what the Bible says, that if you give to God, he'll give back to you. Well, you don't have to give this much. You could give a lot less. I said, no, I really can't do that because that's not what God says. He didn't understand it at all. I understood it because I understood it in the Spirit. We have no idea how much God would tell us if we would just stop thinking things to death. <laughs> You know, you can kill something. You can kill a creative idea from God thinking it over. I mean, you're like, whoa, man, God, that's a great idea. And then you go, now, let me think about this. And I'm not suggesting that we just jump off and whoo, do kinds of stuff without giving it any thought. But if we're going to think about it, let's think about it with the mind of Christ, not the mind of the flesh. Is anybody with me tonight? How many of you know that discernment is so wonderful? You know, a healthy mind is a made-up mind. The power of the mind is absolutely amazing. And we need to learn to think the way that God thinks. We need to learn how to fight the battle for a healthy mind. You know what? If you maybe have been hurt in the past and you really want to recover from it, you're going to have to really make your mind up that you're going to recover and to know that God really wants you to have an awesome life. Today we're offering you an action plan, which includes CDs and DVDs and a workbook and a journal. And it's, a, it's called Beauty for Ashes. It's about how you can give the ashes of a messed up life to God, and he will return beauty to you. I had a lot of emotional hurt in my life from being abused, and God has done an amazing job in helping me recover and be all that he wants me to be. And he's making the same offer to you today. So get this material and let it begin to really change your life. Escape the prison of your past with the Beauty for Ashes Action Plan. With over four hours of Joyce's teaching on CD and DVD, a personal application workbook and journal, the Beauty for Ashes Action Plan will help you change your perspective on the past and live a life as God intended, filled with joy and purpose. It's available today for your donation of $35 or more. Contact us right now, 1-800-727-9673. Ma'am? There's an easier way to take Joyce with you. 
Watch episodes of Enjoying Everyday Life or read the daily devotional on the Joyce Meyer Ministries app. Download it for free today. to Enjoying Everyday Life magazine today at JoyceMeyer.org. Thank you, friends and partners. Together, we're sharing the love of Christ around the world. To find out more, please contact us or visit us online at JoyceMeyer.org. Join us in partnership as we share the love of Christ around the globe. The proceeding was paid for by the friends and partners of Joyce Meyer Ministries. You cannot blame and be blessed at the same time. You can play the blame game or you can be blessed, but you can't be both. We live in a hypervisual society. We are bombarded with thousands of images every day. We need to learn to see again. You're watching the Hillsong Channel. Welcome home. Take a front row seat at Hillsong's conferences. Jesus, there is no other name. What if tonight you really believe that the King of Heaven and Earth was on your side? Your invitation to the Color Sisterhood. As followers of Jesus Christ, we just happen to be women. We have full permission to be on the very forefront of what he wants to pioneer in these days. Hear from world-class teachers. He wants to take you further than you could ever go. He wants to do in you what you could never do in Jesus' name. Join Hillsong in praise and worship. Be inspired by real life stories. Here in Eastern Uganda, the journey continues, and some of the greatest need in the country is within this region. I just felt a peace that I hadn't felt in a very long time. Something for all ages. Good morning, everybody. The sweat is coming down the ground. <laughs> it's so good that I am sitting here with Chad Beach. Empowering people in every sphere of life. The Hillsong Channel. Welcome home. about the bad things we're not going to do anymore because we know Jesus. It's about the kingdom that we're called to establish and build and the land that we're called to possess and the curses that we're called to break and the light that we're called to shine. 
we got some work to do tonight. God has been speaking to me on the kind of level where we don't even walk into church. You float into church. felt like I had wings just propelling me. It's like, oh, man, I've been waiting for us to get together. I've been waiting for us to get together. Now, I want to take all my time for preaching. Do you have any plans between now and the end of the year? Allow God to talk to you, not just about your situation, but perhaps he wants to speak to you. I guess I messed that one up pretty good. Now, some of them are obvious. Physical rage, control issues, tantrums of the soul. Physical rage. There you are, 30 years old, having a tantrum, breaking up something you paid for. Got to pay for it again. Tore up all kinds of stuff in your house, in front of your child, that you chastised for acting like that, not recognizing that he's imitating your behavior. You're trying to teach young people to have to respect authority while you abuse their mother or their father. And the child cannot figure out how to process rage without looking at the example you set. Because we learn from the environment we're in. Now, my family is, is a boisterous family. My wife's family, uh, you have to take their pulse to know they're breathing. When our families got together for dinner for the first time, it was like Jekyll was sitting on one side and Hyde was sitting on the other. Because my family, when we get excited about anything, we look like we're going to kill each other. Here's my sister right here with the pink on. And when we get to talking, and if you would just, if you could hear what we were saying, you would think it was going to be domestic violence and we could be having a good time. Shut your mouth, you crazy. That's how we do it. Her family walked in, they thought. Mama didn't tell us to do it like that. That's how they did it. So we learned how to express the same feelings that her family has, and they're sitting up there talking about, that's interesting. We're talking about the same thing. We're having the same feelings, but how we express it is how we saw it. So whatever example you put up, the benchmark you put up in front of your kids is the benchmark they're going to emulate. So if they see daddy having a tantrum, don't expect him to sit calm in class, in school, or anywhere else. And by the way, expect your daughter to marry somebody who treats her like you treated her mother. And don't go running out the house with a gun after him unless you're going to point it at yourself because you did it. Oh, it's going to be rough, I told you now. I didn't want to do this when you told me to do this because I knew they were going to sit there and look at me like this. I want to talk about verbal rage. 
Global rage isn't necessarily just cursing and it's not necessarily screaming. It's the things that you know will hurt me and you say them to hurt me. Stripping me of my dignity, stripping me of my pride, going where you're not supposed to go, stripping the person of self-respect. Verbal rage. In a moment of transparency, I open up and expose my vulnerability, and in a moment of anger, you use what I exposed against me. Oh, he's quiet. You belittle the one God called you to build up. Even if you have no spouse, this will help you. This will help you with your kids, it'll help you with your grandkids, it'll help you with your neighbors, and it may help you with what went wrong. Because we all have our weapons. Silence is as much a weapon as being loud is. Verbal abuse. I don't have to curse you to tell you you're fat and you're ugly and you always have been ugly and you're just a big hat wearing ugly... You think those words don't have power? It's funny when I say it in a joking sense, but when it comes from the mouth of somebody I have given my all to, you think those words don't have power? You think those words won't stay longer than you? Outlive you? Outlast you? Those words will be there forever. Words have power. When you say certain things to children, they have power. Yeah. You're you just like your father. Those words have power. Those words grow up and manifest in behavior. And the crazy thing to me, having pastored for years, I've gotten to watch several generations grow up. I've seen people do it to their kids, and they come in my office crying, talking about, I don't know what's wrong with this girl. Yes, you do. You are getting the fruit of your lips. She is manifesting what you said. Verbal abuse. We're Christians. We ought to know the power of words. The power of words. The power of speech. I'm wondering, is your mouth a deadly concealed weapon? You need a license for that thing. Y'all normally shut me down by now. Then there's emotional rage. And this, this is what I flipped it to. This is a result of not finding a way to communicate what you're frustrated about. Emotional rage is where you lock down emotionally. I know you need it. I even have it. But because I have shut down what I'm angry about, I have also shut down what I would love to give you. Because the problem with the locked door is nothing gets out. So when you don't communicate, nothing comes out. Even positive things don't come out. So you have emotional rage. Emotional rage leads to emotional abandonment. This is what women don't understand about men. He can come home every night and he has left you three years ago. Just because our bodies come home doesn't mean that our emotions come home. 
Emotional abandonment is trauma, especially to somebody who breathes in the air of your affection. Asphyxiated by your silence. Asphyxiated because it's been years since you touched me or held me or laughed at me without warning anything back, just, just making me feel safe and secure. And maybe you didn't beat them. And maybe you didn't cuss them. You just denied them. Ecclesiastes 7 and 9 says something I want you to consider. Ecclesiastes 7 and 9. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. Don't be quick to be angry. Don't let that be your default mechanism where you quickly become angry and hostile. Don't be quick in your spirit to think evil. Quick in your spirit to get revenge. Quick in your spirit to go vent on somebody. Quick, quick. You don't even have all the facts. You heard I thought you didn't even ask the other person. Shut up. You don't know yet. Don't be quick to be angry. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For, this is what you got to get for anger. Rest it in the bosom of fools. Anger. Rest it in the bosom of fools. God said if you are a person that can get angry and stay angry, God said you're a fool. Anger. Rest it. In the bosom of fools. First time I read that scripture, I closed the Bible and went to bed. I thought, okay, that's enough. Thank you, Jesus. Anger resteth in the bosom of fools. How could you be angry longer than the incident lasted? You've been angry three years over something that took three minutes. Some of you have been living with somebody you've been angry with for the last 10 years. They haven't seen you. They haven't seen you. Your love, your compassion, your creativity, your thoughtfulness. They have not seen who they married. They may not even divorce who they married. You may look like the person you married. Haven't seen them for 10 years. Because anger has rested. In the, in the bosom of fools. One of the hardest things to get out is a heart thing. A heart thing is hard to get out. It's hard to get out because it always has reasons. It always justifies itself. It carries a license. I have a reason to be like this. My father was like this. I have a reason to be like this. He cheated on me. I have a reason to be like this. She left me. I have a reason to be like this. She doesn't love me. I have a reason. It has 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 a license. When everything has a license, you can't confiscate the weapon because you've given it a license. Still to come on the Potter's Touch. When was the last time that your heart escaped the clutches of your anger and you were free to lift your hands and open your mouth and glorify God? When was the last time that your soul escaped out of the snare of the power? When was the last time that you opened your mouth and lift your hands and began
begin to praise God till you lost sight of what you had on or who you came with or what was going to happen at work Monday or what people thought about you when was the last time that you cried unto God when somebody was in my parking space Anger, 
are you losing things because you are still angry? Some of you are angry at people who are dead. You're angry at people who have moved away. You're angry at people who are locked up in jail. And you, but the curse is on you. Which brings me to my next great point. Anger kills its landlord. Anger kills its landlord. Numbers 29 through 12. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, and he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hands, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the waters came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because she believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I swear I had given you. And Moses died in the wilderness because he was angry. Anger kills its landlord. Was Moses God's man? Absolutely. Was Moses anointed? Absolutely. Was Moses gifted? Absolutely. Was Moses chosen? Absolutely. But all of his life, Moses had an anger problem. All of his life. Maybe it's because of his unsettled childhood. Maybe it's because of something that happened in the palace. I don't know. I don't know all of his details. But I do know that Moses got into stuff that he didn't need to get into, and it always messed him up. He jumped in a fight between the Hebrews and the Egyptians and ended up murdering a man and had to flee the palace. And it delayed him 40 years from his assignment because he was a hothead. He was right about the conflict between them, but angry people, when anger controls, you can be right about the point, but wrong about the method. And anytime you're right wrong, it delays you. Right wrong, right wrong. I'm right, but I'm wrong. I'm wrong, but I'm right. And all of a sudden, I spent 40 years. How old are you? I spent 40 years. Delayed because anger kills its landlord. And there, after 40 years, it took him 40 years to calm down enough to hear God again. And then God shows up to the angry man in a burning bush. God said, You think you got fire? I got fire. Moses, Moses. For the ground you stand on is holy ground. Now all of a sudden, Moses reassumes his assignment, and he does good to down to the end of the next 40 years. And then that old devil comes back and knocks at the door and says, see, we all have a devil to fight, a particular devil to fight. And Moses is frustrated and Moses is tired. He's had moments of weakness, moments where he even argued with God. Moses would get up in God's face and say, they're not my people, they're your people. He'd had moments of anger, but he'd overcome them. But the big one came because he was tired of dealing with 13.
thirsty people. They kept needing more from him. And he felt limited. And he was tired. Be careful of when you're tired. Be careful of when you're tired. And he had been with God. He'd just come from being with God. And he comes right out there and runs into frustration and smites the rock twice. How could you just come out of the presence of God and go crazy? I know. How could you shout all over the church and fuss at people in the parking lot? Catch me, I'm slain in the spirit. After 120 years, he gets up to it. He sees it. But he never gets to go into it. took him 120 years to get to Mount Nemo. And he could only look at it. He could not go in. Because anger kills his landlord. How do I kill it? It begins with admitting that you have it. In all of its forms that it hides in, in your silence, in your emotional emptiness, all of that is different forms of your anger, in your depression and your lethargy, added to all of its different forms of your anger. You gotta admit it. I'm angry. And once you admit it, you have got to be able to talk, manage, not mute. Talk, man, open your mouth. Speak. Take the risk of being vulnerable. You won't die from being vulnerable. You will die from being angry. Go get what the devil is trying to steal from you. Get it back if you have to cry, if you have to crawl, if you have to humble yourself, get it back. It is not about their reaction to you. It is about your freedom of awareness of who you are. Whatever they do back, it don't make any difference. You are you. You are free. Now, you can be angry and come to church. And you can be angry and sing in the choir. And you can be angry and pass in the church. And you can be angry and preach. You can be angry and sing. You can be angry and praise the Lord. The Bible said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But you cannot be angry and worship. And it may be the reason that you don't enjoy worship is that worship requires that you open up. And you've been closed so long on the inside that you really don't know. When was the last time you got in the presence of God and worshiped God till tears were running down your face? When was the last time you got lost in the presence of God till the Holy Spirit was able to touch your soul, not your image, but God was able to touch your soul? When was the last time that you got in His presence and you lost all track of time because you were alone with God? When was the last time that you opened up your heart and deep calls on the deep as the noise of my water spouts, oh God, I bless, as the deer passes at the water brook, so pass I after thee, oh God. When was the last time that you just lifted your hands and you weren't afraid to expose your heart with all of its yings and all of its yangs and all of its issues, but you said, just as I am without one plea, 
but then thy blood was shed for thee, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. When was the last time that your heart escaped the clutches of your anger and you were free to lift your hands and open your mouth and glorify God? When was the last time that your soul escaped out of the snare of the power? When was the last time that you opened your mouth and lift your hands and begin to praise God till you lost sight of what you had on or who you came with or what was going to happen at work Monday or what people thought about you? When was the last time that you cried unto God? When? When was the last time? When? When was the last time? I know you come to church, but when was the last time the church came to you? I wish I had somebody that would worship God, an organist that would play the organ, somebody that would clap their hands, somebody that would lift their hands in the presence of God. I wish I had more time. That's a big subject. But I thank God that I was able to get some of it over to you in times like these. You've been locked up for years. Your love, your peace, your joy has been locked up. But I have a key for you today. Worship. Whenever you worship God, the bands are loose and the chains fall off. Why don't you walk in freedom and not in rage? May God bless you till we meet again. I don't know how much more I can take. This job? Pressure. Nina, I really thought this relationship was getting better. Pressure. I love my daughter. I do. But I, I can't be mommy 24 hours a day. I just don't have any help. Pressure. Jesus says, he makes an invitation. He says, cast all your cares on me. Because I care about you. We understand that pressure is all around us, and we all need a way to deal with it. For your gift of any size, you will receive Pressure on CD from Bishop Jake's revolutionary series, Breaking Through. No wonder the devil is trying to get you to shut your mouth, because he knows if you cry, God will open up the windows of heaven. And when your gift is $70 or more, you will receive Breaking Through, trading earthly perspective for kingdom reality on three DVDs. I will not be distracted. I will not get discouraged. I will let God use this pressure to propel me into my destiny. And when your gift is $120 or more, you will receive the Breaking Through three-message DVD set, as well as the best of Bishop Jake's book collection in hardback that includes Destiny by T.D. Jakes, Faith in It by Cora Jakes Coleman, and Dear Mary by Sarah Jakes Roberts. Get ready for a breakthrough today. most often in the New Testament is Jesus opening blinded eyes. And when I looked at the times in my own life that I've been angry, sometimes I was angry and I didn't even know it. Sometimes I lost things that I was meant to keep because I didn't know how to manage my own emotions. And the Lord told me to tell you that he's giving sight to the blind.
one of the most grueling and difficult training programs in the military. Right in that moment, I went from, I want to be a Navy SEAL for the rest of my life, to I knew my calling. Tomorrow on Joni. Today, live on Marcus and Joni. Kelly and Courtney Copeland talk about their fervent passion to reach this generation for Christ. Plus, experience the soulful vocals of worship artist Dara McClain. And praise the Lord with Joni and me and the Daystar singers and band. Live at noon, 11 Central on Daystar. trick-or-treating, we would go door-to-door and say, God loves you. And they'd say, 
You're supposed to say trick or treat. And then my dad would say, tell him blessings, please. Blessings, please. God bless you. We weren't allowed to, like, use some of that lingo, and he was, he was funny about that. But when the world says, give them hell, my dad would say, give them heaven. Give them heaven. Turn to the person next and say, give them heaven. Dad's famous phrase that he would say is, give them heaven. There was times where John and I, we'd be bullied or, or something bad would happen. We'd be in a situation where we'd just be frustrated, and Dad would say, Paul, give them heaven. John, give them heaven. But, Dad, I want to give them the opposite, you know. I want to get back at them and say, give them heaven. What does that even mean? And so I want us to look at what does it mean to give them heaven. The title of the message today is Give Them Heaven. Heaven is a place where God dwells. Heaven is a place where there's no sickness. Heaven is a place where there's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no depression. There's no revenge. There's no retaliation. There's no bitterness. There's no anger. There's no strife. There's no division. There's no name-calling. There's no complaining. Heaven is a place where there's only worship. There's only joy. There's only peace. There's only forgiveness. There's mercy. There's grace. There's no sin in heaven. No darkness. No, no, no uh, getting into temptation. In heaven, we are completely washed by the blood of the Lamb. We're wearing white robes, right? So heaven is a place of complete purity and holiness and grace. And so when Dad says, give him heaven, he's saying, give him a taste of what it's like with Jesus. Give him a taste of how Jesus would treat them. So this week, my challenge to you, not just this week, but next week, the following weeks, is give him heaven. Give him heaven. Tell your neighbor one more time, give him heaven. If they're giving you the other stuff, you give them heaven. If they're putting you through misery, give them heaven. And you might say, well, Paul, why? What's the benefits of giving them heaven? See, the Bible says what you sow is what you'll reap. So if you give people hell, you're going to reap that back in your life. But if you choose, I'm going to give people heaven, you're going to experience heaven in your life. Sooner or later, heaven's going to show up. Even if you're walking through storms, when you choose to give them heaven, you're going to receive what you give. What holds us back from giving people heaven? It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. It's easy for me to say it. It's easy for us to say it in church. But on Monday morning, when your boss is treating you bad, when you're walking through difficult circumstances, on Sunday night when things aren't going right, it's easy to say, give them heaven, but how do we do this? And what holds us back? So three things that hold us back from giving people heaven. Number one, selfishness. Ever since the beginning of time when God had it his way in the Garden of Eden, he wanted to create a heaven on earth for Adam and Eve. But it was selfishness, and selfishness is rooted out of pride. It was, what's in it for me? It's all about me. It's what I can get out of the situation. If, if things aren't going good for me, if people aren't encouraging me, I'm not going to encourage them. And the selfishness mentality, it robs us of the joy of giving and helping other people. Have you lost your cause to fight? Have you given up? Now is the time to fight. Learn how to overcome and fight for your breakthrough with Pastor Paul's three-part CD series, Fight or Flight, when you call or go to pauldoherty.org and make a gift of any size. Number two, the thing that holds us back is a nothing-to-give mentality. I got nothing to give. My pockets are empty. I'm going through a storm, going through a crisis. I, I, I have nothing to give, Paul. I can't even give a smile. I'm going through the worst season of my life. And the nothing-to-give mentality is usually uh, kind of spawned off of a discouraging season. Circumstances that happen that you can't control. Tragedies hit your house. Tragedies happen in your family. About a month ago, 
little less than a month ago. My neighbor, um, her grandson took his wife, and something she couldn't control. She was devastated, hurt. I played basketball with her grandson and talked with him. They went to another church, but and any chance I had to just get to spend time with him, I tried to. And he was a teenager at Jinx, and the grandmother was so hurt that the daughter of the grandmother, the, which would be the mom of the boy, she was so devastated. I don't understand. I don't know what to do. And pain was gripping her. It was a circumstantial, I got nothing to give right now. I, I don't even want to be at church. I don't want to be around people. And what happens is it causes us to isolate ourselves. When we feel like we got nothing to give, it causes us to want to curl up and hide. And I was able to tell her, I said, man, I know a taste of how you feel in a different light. I remember when my father passed away. And I was able to tell her, I said, you know, it, it's coming up. The anniversary of when he passed away it was actually yesterday, five years ago yesterday. And I was telling her, I said, everything inside me wanted to get away from the church. I wanted to run away. I wanted to hide. I wanted to curl up. I didn't want to give anybody anything. I didn't want to give people a smile. I didn't want to give encouragement. I just wanted, I was angry at the world. I was angry at God. And I was able to tell her this story. And, and I said, you know, but the thing that happened inside me, I realized that the, the key to my breakthrough was choosing to give out when I felt like I had nothing to give. Because when you have Jesus, you always have something to give. And I said, I forced myself to be around people. It wasn't easy. Grief wants to hold you in isolation. It wants to separate you from your healing. It wants to steal you from that place. And there's a time to grieve. But as believers, we grieve differently than unbelievers. Paul tells us as believers, we grieve with hope, knowing we will see our loved ones who follow Christ again. And, and, and so I was talking to her, just encouraging her, loving on her. And I saw her this week, the daughter, who was so hurt. And she had the biggest smile on her face. And I was thinking, something has happened in just a short time, in just three weeks. She said, Paul, I've been so bitter and frustrated and angry, but God started working on my heart. And I've been giving out. I just want to help people. She said, I remember listening to a sermon on TV that your dad preached about how when your grandmother, who would be your father's mother, when she lost her husband, he looked at her and said, you can either get bitter or you can get better. You can either get bitter and, and become angry or you can choose to get better. And she said, this last week I went to the school and talked to some of the students that were friends with my son. She said some of them were discouraged and even some of the girls were taking the blame and the responsibility and one of them said, I'll see you in a few days on Facebook. Signaling that she was ready to end her life. And the mom reached out to these students. She said, I started encouraging them. I started just giving out even though I felt like I had nothing to give. She said, you know what happened? Something broke on the inside of me. The pain turned into a purpose. The mess that was going on in my family has turned into a message. And she said, all I want to do is rescue people that are thinking about ending it. And she said, I find so much joy in just encouraging other people. I know it's hard. I know I, I, I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm supposed to be still mad right now, but it's like God's replacing the anger with joy and purpose and, and a destiny to rescue people. And I said, man, you are on the right track. See, the world wants you to think when you've got nothing to give that that's how you need to stay. You just need to stay discouraged, lock yourself in the house, eat ice cream, and watch CNN. But what you need to decide to do is I'm going to get up from this victim mentality, I'm going to get out of this mess, and I'm going to use it as a message. I'm going to get up from the pain, and I'm going to turn it into a purpose. 
Though the world might give me hell, I'm giving them heaven instead. I'm choosing to respond with heaven. See, your life is not made up of what happens to you. Your life is made up of how you respond to what happens to you. You've got to choose to get up. Respond with heaven. You know what? Some of you might be here and you're holding on to bitterness to what someone did to you years and years ago. Maybe even someone who's in the grave. It's bad enough that they made you angry while they were alive. They're still beating you in the grave right now. They've died and gone on. Maybe in heaven. They might be your neighbor mansion when you get up there. But you know what? You've got to choose today. Not one more hour of my life will I waste trying to put other people in prison when it's I myself that put myself in prison by unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. You need to know that failure is not final. Every problem that you're facing, God says, I can help you fight through that and defeat that. God wants you to overcome. Have faith and fight for your breakthrough. When you make a gift of $19 or more a month, you will receive... The three-message CD series by Paul Doherty and the exclusive Victory Journal. Your gift will support the spread of the good news of victory to over 6 million viewers every week. $19 helps support Victory's 200 missionaries in countries all over the world, as well as providing humanitarian aid and disaster relief to spots of turmoil and poverty. Your support helps us to continue to feed children, minister to those in need, and enable others to receive hope. Your generosity of $19 a month, just 63 cents a day, will not just give others hope, but satisfaction knowing that the message of God's grace is reaching others around the world. Please call 1-800-760-2360 or go online right now. Another thing that keeps us in the nothing-to-give mentality is condemnation. The devil will tell you because you sinned, because you messed up, you got nothing to give. You're inadequate. You're unworthy. And there's this unworthy concept that's just floating around the body of Christ that's keeping us from giving out and serving other people, ministering to other people, coming to pray for people at the altar, praying for your relatives. You might think, yeah, I can't pray for them because i got too many mistakes in my past. i got too many skeletons in my closet. You need to get the skeletons out of the closet, bring them down to Calvary, and realize your sins have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. It's His blood that washed you and made you clean and righteous, not your work so that you could boast, and realize I've been forgiven. See, every morning we wake up, there's two voices talking to us. The voice of the accuser saying, you're not good enough, you're ugly, you're unworthy, you're inadequate, you're not good enough to get up there and preach after your dad passed away. I heard that voice. I hear that voice every week. Just because you get saved doesn't mean you no longer hear the voice of the accuser. You just know what to do with the voice. Because there's another voice in my ear saying, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have a spirit of intimidation. You have power, love, and a sound mind. You're a child of the King. You have the mind of Christ. You're the head and not the tail. You're blessed. You're not cursed. See, I hear that voice, and it gives me courage to be and do what God's called me to do. We've got to choose to rise up from the nothing-to-give mentality and realize with Jesus, we always have something to give. When we give them heaven, we experience heaven in our lives. Number three, the thing that holds us back is we think they deserve hell. Why would I give them heaven when they deserve hell, Paul? I wonder if when we get to heaven, we might be neighbors to some of the people we think deserve hell. I just wonder if when you're walking down the streets of gold and Peter's taking you to your mansion... You're saying, now, is there a hole in heaven that I can look down on my enemies burning in hell? Peter says, as a matter of fact, 
the ones you think should be burning hell, they're living right next door to you. Your mother-in-law, your boss, your supervisor. No, I'm just kidding. You're like, oh, no. See, the truth is we all deserve hell, church. But by the grace of God, we get to spend eternity with Jesus because he forgave us. Jesus said, how can you expect God to forgive you if you can't forgive others here on earth? If you want to get to heaven, you've got to be a constant forgiver, a constant cheek turner, a constant... See, Jesus said, it's easy to love those who love you. It's natural to love people that love you, but it's supernatural to love people that hate you. It's supernatural to love those who mistreat you. Ashley, would you bring that quote up? We were looking at this quote from Mother Teresa, and it's such a powerful quote. You've probably heard it before, but I want Ashley to read it. This is my beautiful wife, Ashley. Would you read it to the church? Here. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough, but give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Come on, Jesus. That's good right there. Give them heaven. Not for their sake but for your sake. It's between you and God. See, everywhere Jesus went, he gave people heaven. Even the man on the cross that was next to him, that was hurling insults at him. When the other one cried out, Father, forgive me, he gave him heaven. When he showed up on the land that the, the demoniac was, that was screaming and cutting himself and, and running around, Jesus gave him heaven. Jesus gave people heaven everywhere he went and he wants us to be that carrier that man we're going to give people heaven even though people might be giving us the opposite we're going to give them heaven what are we going to give them have you lost your cause to fight have you given up now is the time to fight learn how to overcome and fight for your breakthrough with pastor paul's three-part cd series fight or flight when you call or go to pauldoherty.org and make a gift of any size how can we give them heaven number one Give them heaven with your words. Give them heaven with your words. You know, the mouth is such a strong part of our body. The Bible says that your mouth is the strongest instrument in your body. An instrument. I, I think the mouth is like a transmission. A transmission that you can either go forward or you can go backwards. Your mouth is either taking you forward towards heaven or it's taking you backwards towards hell. You're either spiraling up or you're spiraling down. There's a battle for your mouth. Heaven and hell is battling for your mouth. Why? Because with your mouth, you're either speaking heaven into the atmosphere or you're speaking hell into the atmosphere. When you walk into the room, when you're sitting at the lunch table, what kind of atmosphere are you speaking out? Are you spewing out poison, slander, gossip, always negative, putting others down? The one that when you walk in the room, when you sit at the table, it feels like heaven just walked in the room. It feels like a peacemaker just stepped into the house. A strife stopper. It feels like a joyful person just came in. Depression is fleeing. Why? Because you're speaking life. See, our words, they paint a picture for people. We're either painting a picture that's beautiful or we're painting a picture that's terrible. We can either bring misery or we can bring victory in people's lives. 
there was a story about two older men that were in a hospital and they were roommates. They were both on their dying bed. They had a few months left to live. One of them got to sleep in a bed right next to the window. The other one was placed in a corner. Both of them were dying and the one that was in the corner, he had to lay flat on his back. He couldn't even sit up. He was completely laid flat. He was miserably in pain. The other one by the window, he could at least turn his head. He could look out the window. and The one that was flat, he would ask him, what's out the window? What do you see? What's out there? The man by the window, he would say, it's beautiful. There's a lake out there. There's benches around the lake. There's couples walking around the sidewalk around the lake. There's ducks that are just swimming through the lake. And the clouds are beautiful. It's a blue sky with white clouds, puffy clouds. And he would describe this beautiful picture to the guy. Every day he would tell him about it. The guy in the bed, he would just close his eyes and tears would stream down his face. He would imagine the beautiful picture this man was telling him. One night, that man by the window, he passed away into eternity. The nurse came in a few days later to switch the beds, to move the guy in the corner over by the window. He, he was being moved by the window and he was able to turn his head as he was laying there. He was confused. He said, uh, excuse me, nurse. What happened? What happened to outside? She said, what do you mean? She said, am I, he said, am I in the right room? She said, of course, it's the same room you've been in with your other roommate. And he said, yeah, but out the window, he described there was a lake out there and, th and there was park benches and there was kids playing and there was couples walking that were holding hands. And, and I look out the window and all I see is the side of another building, just a blank white wall. The woman was laughing and she said, sir, your roommate was blind. He was encouraging you to keep you living a little bit longer. The man was completely taken back because he realized this man who was dying, he had a choice. He could either talk negative, he was blind, or he could speak positive. He could paint a picture of something beautiful. That man said, he was breathing life into my soul every time he was speaking about what was out that window. See, we're either breathing life into the atmosphere with our words, or we're breathing death by what we're saying. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We're either pumping life into people, or we're pumping a cursing. Number two, give them heaven with your kindness this week. Give them heaven with your kindness. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, be kind and tenderhearted. Treat people with kindness. Kindness is such a rare quality these days in the world. We don't see it that much anymore. Just gestures of kindness to people, that we could help people out. We could encourage people by doing something nice for them. What if you bought someone coffee this week? What if you let other people cut in front of you at, at, at the restaurant that you're waiting to be seated at? What if you did something that people couldn't repay you back for? Just being kind to people, it's bringing heaven down to earth. Why? Because in heaven there's no cruelty, there's no rudeness, there's no meanness, there's no getting back at people. Bring kindness to people. Number three, give them heaven with your forgiveness. Nine years ago, my dad was preaching a message of forgiveness, going into Thanksgiving. He was down at the altar, shaking hands, praying for people, and this man with crazy eyes just punched him in the face. How many of y'all remember that? It went on the news, it was on like late night shows, the preacher that got punched in the face. Right after he got punched, he jumped back up on stage and he kept preaching about forgiveness. And he talked about how sometimes we get knocked down, but we're never knocked out. 
long as you've got Jesus inside, you can bounce back with forgiveness, with mercy, with grace. Maybe some of y'all have been knocked, hurt, ran over in your spirit, in your soul. Maybe you were served papers from your spouse saying they don't want to be with you anymore. Maybe it was something that happened between you and your son, you and your, your father. Maybe something happened a long time ago where somebody hurt you. They broke you. They meant to knock you out. But I'm here to tell you today, if there's breath in your lungs, you still got bounce back inside you. You still got a reason to get up and give God worship. You still got a reason to jump up and forgive them. You know what? Some of you might be here and you're holding on to bitterness to what someone did to you years and years ago. Maybe even someone who's in the grave. It's bad enough that they made you angry while they were alive. They're still beating you in the grave right now. They've died and gone on. Maybe in heaven. They might be your neighbor mansion when you get up there. But you know what? You've got to choose today. Not one more hour of my life will I waste trying to put other people in prison when it's I myself that put myself in prison by unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. You can either get bitter or you can get better. My, my advice is let's get better, church. Let's get better. Show grace. Show mercy. Give them heaven. Give them heaven. But Paul, they've given me the opposite. Give them heaven in exchange. Show them what Jesus is like. Lastly, let's give them heaven with our worship. Number four, give them heaven with your worship. You might be in a dungeon. You might be in a prison cell. Might feel like Paul and Silas. It's getting darker and darker right where you're at. Feels like the lights are going out. You can't see what's going to happen. In fact, let me get it dark in this room because this is what's going to happen. When you're in the middle of pain and, and heartbreak and you feel like the poverty is increasing, you don't know what to do, bills aren't being paid, frustration at home, strife in your house, you don't know how you're going to make it. It feels like the lights just get darker and darker every week. You can choose to sit in the darkness or you can light a match by giving worship to God. Paul and Silas, in the middle of the night, they begin to sing, How great is our God! How worthy is our God! Mighty is the Lord! Mighty is our God! And the prisoners were listening. And the more they began to pray, they started hearing a rattle. The chains started breaking. The
week for a gift of just $65, you can receive the beautiful, exclusive Victory Journal to note your favorite scriptures and stories, count your blessings, and write down the victories you experience every day. However, when you join other generous people and give just $19 a month, you will receive both the Onward Journal and Overcoming Sermon Series, Fight or Flight. Your gift will support the spread of the good news of victory to over 6 million viewers every week. $19 helps support the global ministry of Victory's 200 missionaries in countries all over the world, as well as providing humanitarian aid and disaster relief to spots of turmoil and poverty across the globe. Your support will help us to continue to feed children, minister to those in need, and enable others to receive hope. For just $19 a month, you will receive both the Onward Journal and the Onward Sermon Series. Your generosity of $19 a month, just 63 cents a day, will not just give others hope, but satisfaction, knowing that the message of God's faithfulness and grace is reaching others around the world. Don't miss this exclusive sermon series and journal offer. Call 1-800-760-2360 or go online right now. where Christ comes into your life, but then he wants to remodel your whole life. He starts a construction project. When has so much come from so little?
It's not 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.